So I'm guessing Goodfellas is also really a uh, fantasy for women just as much as it is for <laughs> men. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but that's the question I would yeah. have. I don't know if that's to what... I think there's this weird line between is there some kind of element of allure to some extent, but I think whenever you have stories that are being told by men about men, and then you have women in those stories who are very attracted to... yeah. It's, the men in that it's it, it's still very you know, much and part like, of the oh, male they're so fantasy powerful. yeah <laughs> right it, yeah my question is how much of that is an accurate re- mm-hmm. representation of why those women are drawn into those situations hello and welcome to cinema of meaning the podcast from myself thomas flight and my fellow video essayist tom vanderlinden from the channel like stories of old that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer this episode is part three in our gangster series where we're exploring gangster cinema over the over the years we're looking at a film from each decade starting with the godfather and working forward to the present this week we're going to be talking about martin scorsese's goodfellas a favorite of mine i think uh, one of the classics in like contemporary gangster mafia film And if you want to join in this discussion, talking about it with other listeners and with us, you can check out our Discord, which you can get access to through our Patreon. The link is in the show notes, so go check that out and join in the conversation. Also, if you're listening to this, there's an arc to these episodes. We'll be talking about sort of the broader arc of gangster films and how they're evolving and how they relate to each other. So... If you want, you can go back and listen to the others before you listen to this, but that's also not necessary completely, uh, you know, if you only want to hear a discussion of Goodfellas. We won't spoil other movies without giving a warning first. So, yeah, let's let's jump into it. This, for me, Tom, was, was one of the ones that I was really excited about. Mm-hmm. If you say gangster movie, Goodfellas is maybe the first one I think of. In my mind, It it's the gangster movie. In part because it was just the one that grabbed me when I was uh, a teenager and kind of first watching these these films. Um, I remember back in the day, I was, uh, I don't remember what age I was, but I was 18. I, and you hear about The Godfather, it's legendary. You watch The God. I watched The Godfather. And at first with The Godfather, I was kind of like, oh, this is like the greatest film of all time. This is, it's kind of slow. It's not that uh-huh. exciting, except... You know, I've come around. I've since come around. I've come to really love that film, but the but to the teenage me, The Godfather was not the exciting gangster sort of punch that I was hoping for. But Goodfellas was. I watched Goodfellas, and I was like, "Now that is the gangster. <laughs> that's the gangster <laughs> movie I wanted." Um, so that's kind of you know. I over time, I like. I think I've come to appreciate The Godfather much more. But I still really have a soft spot for for Goodfellas. Uh, So I'm excited to talk about it. But I'm curious for you, what was your experience with this film? Mm -hmm. I think this was only the the second time you've seen it. Is that right? Yeah, I I actually don't remember when I first saw it. I know that I'd seen it before, um, but I didn't grow up with it, so to say. I I, I came across it later in life um, when I was more deliberately exploring cinema, I think. Um, but I did really like it. I, I, I'm not sure actually why I never revisited it. Maybe because I, I knew what it was and I liked it and I figured um, no need to revisit it, at least yeah. not anytime soon. And then not anytime soon became 10 years or something. But yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I think this isn't uh, very much the defining gangster movie at least of the 90s we you know we covered the 70s right. the godfather 80s scarface and now into the 90s you know the choice for which movie to pick as the exemplar exemplary like uh, 90s gangster movie i think the choice for both of us was pretty easy um i did before watching goodfellas again i did also watch uh, some other gangster movies from the 90s i watched uh, or rewatched uh, casino also from uh, scorsese which only confirmed just how much he put his own like stamp on the genre and never yeah. which never really went away after which of or afterwards 
Um, but I also watched uh, a movie I hadn't seen before, and that was uh, A Bronx Tale, from, um, actually directed by Robert De Niro, and um, starring, I'm forgetting his name, but um, the uh, it also has Robert De Niro in, the, in one of the main parts, but also another guy who actually wrote the play it was based on, which is based on his own uh, life. It's, uh, which was also a very interesting movie to watch, especially in the context of 90s gangster cinema, because it was very much inspired by uh, Scorsese. You know, it has the uh, sort of the upbeat editing, high pacing, uh, the needle drops with a lot of music. It had voiceovers, um, or I think this one actually had only one. Yeah, Casino also had the multiple voiceovers that Goodfellas also has. This one had the one voiceover, which has the, uh, which has since also become quite iconic. I think for any gangster movie, you know, it wasn't there in The Godfather. It wasn't there in Scarface. So I think. I'm not sure if Goodfellas was the one to really set the example, but at least it, I think it's the one that really uh, popularized it and cemented it as an aspect of the genre where you have this very heavy narration, um, which can be a bit silly at times. You know, it's 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 not just a, a narration to convey information. It's also to give us an insight into the way these people see the world, the way they talk, the way they interact. Um which is actually quite funny when you see it in a non-Scorsese movie because that's, you know, sometimes it's easier to get a grasp on someone's style when you look at someone who's trying to imitate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, or not so much to imitate it, but at least someone who's clearly an admirer of it yeah. and inspired by it. And that's also what you see in A Bronx Tale, you know, that's done. It starts out with this young kid who gets caught up in the gangster life. Um and there's this introduction to all these uh, eccentric gangster individuals, and it will be like, oh, you see that big fellow over there? That's that's Fat Tony. You know why they call him Fat Tony? It's, it's because he's fat. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all that kind of narration. and uh, But it's actually a very... Uh, it, it starts out a little derivative, but it actually develops into, a, I think, quite a nice story that sits very nicely in the wider... Um, filmography of the gangster um, cinema. I try to get like a sense of like what else is out there in the 90s, but I feel like when you specifically look at gangster movies, it, there's just no going around Goodfellas. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. Choice, I, I think the second choice would have probably been Casino, which was also Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A Bronx Tale would probably have been my third, but which is heavily derivative of Scorsese, <laughs> right, right. so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it does feel like in the '90s, all roads all roads lead back to Goodfellas, and so it's um, it, it, it's it's clearly an inevitable point in like cinematic history here, where you end up or you have to get past if you want to talk about gangster cinema through the decades, right. and um, for a good reason. I I really enjoyed this movie, as you said. I think it has a very um, it, there's a very distinct energy to it, which borrows some from you know uh, not so sure it borrows but it in at least in our discussion it there's some translation there from scarface where it takes the high octane uh unhinged 80s and sort of regrounds it a little bit more um because that's the interesting thing too you know we're moving forward the decades but the story itself moves uh we're moving back chronologically you know yeah we went from the godfather which took place in the early 20th century, and then to Scarface, which at the time was a contemporary movie. And then now in the 90s, we're moving back again to uh, another story that plays out over, uh, I think, around the midpoint of the century. Like, Yeah, it runs from like the 50s into the 80s. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. You know, Scorsese has always been a filmmaker that uh, has this strange balance between showing the life of sin and showing the life of the, the you know the sacred and kind of there, there's always some sort of biblical almost or you know so, a religiosity to his storytelling which i find very interesting even when he's being blamed or criticized for glorifying all these uh gangster lifestyles or you know the wolf of wall street or generally less inspirational figures 
But I feel like if you, especially if you look at those movies in the wider context of his work, you know, you also have uh, Last Temptation of Christ, there's Silence, um, Kundun, uh, some others I'm probably forgetting. The the real, I think, touchstone there is Mean Streets, which we didn't talk about in the, the 70s, but that was Scorsese's first foray into uh, gangster filmmaking, his first work with... Um, Harvey Keitel and and Robert De Niro and that's really kind of a predecessor to Goodfellas like in a lot of ways um but in that movie the sort of like spiritual uh allegory and connection um you can see it there's a fusion there much more directly Hmm. um and then it's still there I think in Goodfellas like there is a preoccupation a little bit with like redemption and religious themes to to a degree but mm-hmm. it's definitely much more implicit it's not yeah. you know very explicitly explored in this story itself um but i think you're totally right that like if you look at that this movie within scorsese's larger implications and then um and then some of the films he's made since this movie as well uh you can definitely kind of see his interests in these subjects not you know not just for the allure of this lifestyle or you know the sort of you know salacious uh element but but also because you know there's kind of this question of like can somebody this bad you know is redemption still open to them uh and that's a question i think i don't want to jump too far into the movie itself yet but I think mm-hmm. that's a question we'll come back to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, linking back to the discussions we've already had in the previous episodes, we've been trying to discern some recurring tropes and commonalities between gangster movies and the question of what makes a gangster movie. Um, what do you think after Godfather, after Scarface, What is the what are the most important elements that Goodfellas brings with itself and which which things does it add or what does it progress or I was thinking about that as as I was watching it this time mm-hmm. and there were a few things that stuck out to me the first being I think this is a movie that definitely exists within the context of viewers who are already familiar with the gangster film mm. so goodfellas is a movie that comes into the genre with it as an established contemporary genre which arguably scarface godfather were already doing to some extent as we discussed there were gangster films as far back as you know the 30s but they disappeared for a little while during the Hayes code and then they kind of came back in this new modern form and i think goodfellas is a movie that very consciously exists in that genre yeah and so a lot of the things we talked about in some of the in some of the other films where you know it touches on sort of the familial a- aspect of at least the mafia some of the social reasons why it exists for because of police corruption or how it feeds into police corruption all these things goodfellas kind of speed runs you just through that at the beginning there's a big yeah. montage set up and henry hill and his voiceover just kind of very explicitly lays it all out of the table. Even like the opening line of the narration saying like, as, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster. That yes, already yeah. communicates not just, you know, a lot of what this movie is about, but it also uh, shows in sort of the underlying assumption that the public or the audience is already exactly familiar with what that means. You know, people know yes. what it means to be a gangster and, because uh, they've all watched Scarface and Godfather, so we know we already have that sort of cultural association with it, and we know what kind of lifestyle he means by uh, stating he wants the life of a gangster. So we already know to some extent what that means, and the movie indeed confirms that later on, as you said, when yeah. we show exactly the life that we assume is part of the life of the gangster, at least in yeah. in the movies. Yeah. So I think a lot of what a lot of what the other movies, Scarface and The Godfather, are kind of exploring in subtext. Where you know, in The Godfather, we're seeing we're seeing this gangster lifestyle, and it's kind of like 
up to us to understand why Michael Corleone gets drawn into that world. You know, we have to think like, oh, the sense of power over others through violence Mm -hmm. gives him a, you, you know, a feeling of personal justification or something. I don't know, you know, that we we have to like connect those dots for ourselves and put it together because there's no there's no real um explicit discussion of what is their motivations for getting involved in this lifestyle or we have to say like the the familial structure the sense of camaraderie the way in which there's kind of this code that they follow and watch each other's backs even even as they are kind of at war with each other sometimes, that has its own appeal. Mm-hmm. Even though they're criminals, these are things we have to we have to connect ourselves. In Goodfellas, Henry Hill's just saying that. He's like, he just comes out in the voiceover. He's like, it made me feel important. I, everybody knew who I was. I got mm-hmm. money. You know, I got all this great stuff because of it. It was great, you know. I didn't want to be a schmuck, basically, is what he he says. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be somebody, and being a gangster in my in his neighborhood was the way that you became somebody. Yeah, so, yeah. I think the way in which the movie kind of sets that up very deliberately, and then takes you kind of inside that perspective a little bit, uh, is very is very interesting to me. Yeah, no, definitely, I agree. Um... The, the the things that I wrote down after the last discussion were that the the sort of traits for the gangster movie were the the inherent tragedy in their storytelling, the sort of yes. rise and fall, or the you're selling your soul to the devil and waiting for the devil to collect. You know, that all those kinds of story arcs are tend to be present and here as well. Uh, you mentioned the use of violence and force, and the, uh, especially also the use of sudden violence as um not just as um a way of you know providing action to a movie but also to provide narrative twists with characters who are being unexpectedly whacked as they say yeah. it in goodfellas and uh, which is also again um an element that comes back in this movie often uh you already touched on the uh, the idea of brotherhood and there being a code which i think um as you said was much more or was made much more explicit in the 90s. Um, the Bronx still also showed this very explicitly where this, you have this young kid who is taken under the wing by this mafia boss and he also explicitly tells him, you know, you have to show these values. You have to be uh, loyal, you have to be um, prudent, you have to be... Uh, but also intelligence is very much valued. Um, and you see examples of the guys who... or the kind of guys who don't possess those virtues and they don't make it up the ladder in this world so um it's interesting that there's always in these uh structures as you mentioned the these familial structures of the gangster uh social system there's this inherent heroic journey built within them almost where you there is a sort of path laid out that if you have the right virtues and you follow that path then you get out on top um, even though ultimately they always have to uh, crash down in the end. Yeah. Um, one thing I also thought of, which I don't think we mentioned uh, last time, is that a very typical element in gangster movies is a very long time span. So the saying right. that the story is usually takes place between you know multiple years or even decades, uh, right. which really emphasizes that starting low at the bottom ending up on top and then maybe ending up even later with uh, tragic regret or uh, in jail or whatever. Or just in the case of Goodfellas, jumping ahead to, to the end a little bit, just ending up as a regular smart. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree that that's all very much carried along from the gangster movies that we've already talked about, you know, the 70s, the 80s. Uh, that's all continued i think in the 90s even made more explicit in some ways um how how about differences what do you think this movie does that um for example scarface and god the godfather did not yeah both stylistically as well as uh thematically there were 
a couple key differences here. I think mm. one is that, at least in the movies we've talked about so far, this is the first one that really kind of follows the story of a lower level character the entire time. So mm. in The Godfather, we start with the, the Don himself, and then we also watch his son become that. And then in Scarface, we start with an outsider who's a nobody and watch his rise to power and then fall. And in this, we watch Henry Hill, who, you know, is an outsider. He comes in, but he he doesn't make it all, you know, all the way to the top. He, he's kind of at the fringes this entire time. And the the guys who were the main characters in something like Scarface or, or The Godfather are sort of the the ensemble characters at the sidelines so you have the don paulie you know the boss he's uh or i don't know if he's he's not a don i don't think but he's the kind of the local boss or whatever yeah yeah and you know he's a minor character it doesn't delve into who he is much he just sort of is this background presence this kind of fatherly yeah. figure to henry hill very calm um, stoic uh, yeah yes uh, and he also, he seems to embody that like classic Godfather sort of vibe. He's the one who's telling Henry, like, don't get involved with the drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, you have that. And then, and then you also have the characters, uh, um, De Niro and Pesci played by De Niro and Pesci in this as the more kind of sinister lawless side of things that I think we saw in Scarface, uh, where, you know, they'll kill anybody. They're, they're just out ruthlessly to do whatever it takes to to grab up as much territory as they can they're completely unfeeling about it they don't care uh but they're also kind of you know they're at the Mm -hmm. sidelines instead we have henry hill and and we stick with him so i think that limiting of perspective changes the story a little bit yeah um and then spoilers we're, we're also following the story of somebody who is you know a quote unquote a rat so, mm. you know, I think there's this interesting dynamic in the film where some of the other gangster movies that we see, you're presented with kind of this like code of ethics. It's like, if you're a good gangster, you'll never rat on your friends. They, they yeah, even yeah. set this up in the beginning of this film. But in The Godfather or Scarface, we'd, we'd see people bend the rules a little bit, but we were mostly kind of stayed within that world of, oh... The characters we're watching, we're watching. They're a bad guy in in the real world, but in the world of the gangster, they're one of, they're following the rules. They're a good gangster. Whereas mm-hmm. in this movie, I think we see Henry Hill. He's a bad guy in the real world, but also by the end, he also break, breaks the gangster code, yeah. and that's what allows him to sort of go back and become a regular guy. So there's this weird like exploration of that relationship between the sort of gangster code of ethics and the fact that he is somebody who is not, he breaks those rules of the gangster world. And that's what allows him to sort of escape while all the other guys end up in jail. Uh, So I think that's kind of a big shift in how the, that sort of ethic and rules are, are presented in, in this movie. Yeah. I also think this is the first explicitly true story, right? That, as far as I know, you know, Scarface and The Godfather are just based on fictional stories. I'm guessing they're obviously very much rooted in actual history, but... Right, yes. Yeah, as far as I know, the book by Mario Puzo mm-hmm. that The Godfather is based on is yeah. just a novel, right? Yeah, it's a fictional crime novel. Um so yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic here as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think one thing we're seeing in this movie that we're not seeing in, in Scarface or The Godfather is the police really starting to catch up to organized crime. So in, yep. in, in both of the other movies, in the decades we've seen so far, the threat is mostly like other, yeah, yeah. other gangsters, kind of the interfamily war. Yeah, and the, or, more the internal demons that start... Uh consuming right. uh, the main characters from the inside yeah yeah uh and that's definitely a thing here the the whackings in this mm-hmm. the sort of underlying threat and the paranoia that builds up about there there's kind of this interesting maneuver 
we get in this movie where at the beginning you you it Scorsese sets up this sense of camaraderie and family and Henry Hill's like hey everybody knows everybody it's great Mm -hmm. you know we're all friends and then that you start to beneath the surface especially uh, Tommy's character you start to feel this like simmering threat and then as time goes on that familial camaraderie devolves into utter paranoia and you start to really get this sense that mm-hmm. that's all just a facade and really underneath that you could be killed at any moment by the people who are closest to you yeah it, it feels like that literal embodiment of uh, i don't remember the exact saying but that idea that civilization is just like two meals away from total anarchy <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah i feel like in, in this world more than in the real one there's you know that explicit sense that there's as you said there's this facade of camaraderie and these very you know everyone's uh, shaking hands giving each other little tips and then getting a bottle of wine in return and um but yeah beneath all that there's like you know anybody is like one bad joke away from being whacked and (laughs) or at least severely beaten up as uh, yeah yeah uh also made somewhat explicit in that scene where um uh character is um is that Tommy uh, in, in the movie? Yeah, Tommy. Yeah. Tommy, he is uh, pretending to be offended by a joke that Henry makes and then, um, which is later on, you know, shown to be a very real sensitivity that he does have, right. and, um, which, which leads to uh, all kinds of violence and um, which suddenly makes that world feel less appealing and which, as you said, brings that uh, paranoia into it in a very nice and convincing way, I think. While we're on the subject of differences, one of the things we talked about in the last episode was sort of the women characters, the representation of women in these movies. Mm. And that was one thing I'd forgotten from this movie was kind of, I think we do get Karen, Henry's wife, is a little more fleshed out in this movie. We get a little bit more of her perspective than I think we do in in the other two movies we talked about, where again in terms of taking kind of the implicit motivations and making them more explicit i think in this one you know in the other movies with yeah the the tony montana's uh woman yeah tony montana's wife in that film like we're kind of left to guess at what her motivations are for attaching herself to these men that are violent and you know there's this kind of like false naivete where there's this plausible deniability but they they really know what's going on kind of thing that's all alluded to but it's not really explored directly i think in this movie we get a much more direct exploration of those things we get karen's voiceover a little bit and we get her kind of talking about you know we get a revelation that she's implicit in this Yeah, yeah uh you know, to some extent, she's a victim of his violence and abuse, but also she's implicit because she likes the 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 power and the violence and the money as well. Yeah, and so I think there's there's a little more depth here, which I think is is something that is interesting. Yeah, it still feels like a bit of a stereotype, you know the yes, the, the, yeah, the yeah. women falling for the bad guys, which right. You know, I'm guessing there's some truth to that. You know, there's I think there's a reason that movies like twilight or books like twilight i guess the movies too but uh and 50 shades of gray uh become so popular especially among female audiences because there is that i guess that bad guy fantasy there which they enjoy to some extent and i've talked to plenty of women in real life who have expressed the same thing um so i'm guessing goodfellas is also really a uh fantasy for women just as much as it is for men (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, but that's the question I would yeah. have. I don't know if that's to what I think there's this weird line between is there some kind of element of allure to some extent? But I think whenever you have stories that are being told by men about men and then you have women in those stories who are very attracted to yeah. the men in that, it's, it, it's still very you know, much part like, of the oh, they're so powerful. Then. Yeah, <laughs> right. It, yeah. My question is how much of that is an accurate re- mm-hmm. representation of why those women are drawn into those situations. I think there's some overlap there, yeah. Right, right. Um, 
you know, it's it, it it's not something that can be easily sorted through. But I yeah. think it's it's worth noting that. I think generally men fantasize about being desired by women or being in a position of or like a status position in which they are desired by women. So it does it makes sense then that there's some overlap between what women desire in their men and then the place that men also want to find themselves in. Sure. It's kind of like a minor issue. I think when you talk about this in the sense of stereotypes, um, I'm not really saying that as a criticism, I think, um, because I think I feel like women are also allowed their fantasies, I'm guessing, just as much as men. So um, it's not really an issue that I have with the movie. But yeah, I I do think the question is interesting whether or not, you know, where the male fantasy sort of ends and the, the 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 female one begins and to what extent they can coexist or to what extent there are differences. That's, that's also yeah, one thing yeah. that I was thinking of. I had a literal note written down that says, women like dangerous men, question mark. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, it, yeah, it's something that the movie does make explicit by giving us that direct insight into um, the female perspective, which I thought was nice. And to have those occasional glimpses into her narration or her inner monologue which um i'm not sure i've seen uh before that often casino has it also which but that's also by uh scorsese uh but those were i think mostly the male the two male leads since mm-hmm. narratives there's obviously uh, like terence malick or something who uses multiple voiceovers or multiple inner monologues in one movie but uh, that doesn't really, I don't think that really applies here when talking about right, the right. gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's that David O. Russell film, American Hustle, and he kind of does oh, it in yeah. a way that feels like a direct rip of Goodfellas, mm. basically. But it doesn't work as well for me. Yeah, uh, Scorsese and this movie in particular, Casino, probably you could also use an example, is, is one of those examples of like, voiceover is one of those things in film school, they'll be like, oh, voiceover is a crutch, or like screenwriting classes or whatever, they'll often be like, don't use voiceover, it's a crutch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this movie is one of the examples of like, yeah, you can break that rule as long as you just do it well. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the trick is just, <laughs> it's not that voiceover itself is inherently bad. The trick is just doing it in a way that is compelling and adds to the story rather than is a crutch that the story yeah, yeah. is is resting on yeah because I, I definitely do believe as i said earlier that it doesn't just serve to give us exposition that we otherwise wouldn't right. get but it also just gives a lot of flavor to this world and that sense of what it feels like to be in it and i think also yeah. towards the end when henry becomes a little bit more like coked up and frantic and <laughs> yeah. uh chaotic than the narration it feels also changes and the whole narrative structure starts to become more jumbled because uh, you know it more directly reflects his internal experience of his own story uh so in that sense i think it's all very much interlinked it's not uh i think a story that you can easily extract the narration out of and then see you know like for example with a movie like blade runner which originally had infamously a voiceover track but you know it could be taken out and the movie was even better for it uh i don't think you can do that with goodfellas um which i think is a good sign that you know it shows that the narration is just as much an integral part of the storytelling as much as the uh the, the visual elements and the other audio parts yeah, um yeah so yeah i'm uh, i'm generally a fan of um scorsese's use of narration in uh in this movies and and this movie and many of his others i think one of the big things that's represented in that narration here is a kind of naivete where mm. in each moment we're inside henry's perspective and he's talking about how great these guys are how trustworthy everything is or the perspective that he's coming from in articulating this you really understand why he, he as a young man wanted to be a gangster or why he felt safe with these guys even though they would just kill at, at least at first even though they would just kill someone at the drop of a hat you know he felt like he was safe and on the inside or these the 
the voiceover really helps bring you into that perspective. And it also creates this unfolding kind of cognitive dissonance in the film where sort of the reality you're, you're seeing depicted eventually starts to kind of contradict the perspective he's been yep. giving you to, to a certain degree. And I think that creates a, uh, a really powerful effect. And then I love the twist at the end of kind of this little addition where you, you start out and you think, oh, I've just been hearing voiceover where he's telling us about how great this, this life is. And at the end, there's kind of this tiny little implication of like, we've been hearing him on the witness stand sort of ratting on his friends the entire time. Uh, yeah. And yeah, there's, there's that just kind of recontextualizes things in a way that I think is kind of yeah. uh, a little bit fun. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, this is a movie from the early 90s, but the 90s were also very much the, defined, I think, by this sort of detachment from normal society. You know, there's movies like Fight Club, The Matrix, uh, Office Space, all of which have this sort of disassociation from the smug life, the normal life that's also ridiculed by uh, Henry Hill in Goodfellas and that he tragically ends up becoming a part of, you know, the there's something ironic about this the tragic fate at the end being that henry hill is now just a regular citizen like right you and i are like everyone else i'm not sure if i have like a specific question here but i i, I did want to point out or wanted to, to address that idea that we've now also moved you know 70s 80s and now in the 90s also moved in a different cultural space that uh may or not uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's my question like to what extent do you think the cultural uh, developments in the 90s and that sort of uh, disconnect from or detachment from the regular life in forms and um, places or like contextualizes this movie. Right, right. I think kind of what we're seeing to some extent is the, the social uh, environments that are creating the gangster at least mm -hmm. as represented by the movies we've mostly been talking about so far, are shifting a little bit. Where primarily early on we see, oh, there's police corruption that's creating problems in a community, and that community looks to organized crime to sort of solve those problems, and that's kind of what creates the gangster. And then yeah. again, in Scarface, you kind of have economic and political turmoil that creates this environment where you have the gangster sort of exploiting uh you know this in the hyper capitalization of the right. american dream and yeah yeah all of these things i think this is we're starting to see more of an extension of that where as we go from the mid-century into the turn of the century it starts to become more about the alienation of kind of this like modern life the the breakdown of the in further breakdown of various institutions that are there to provide people with mm -hmm. structure and community and meaning and all of these things. And so for Henry Hill, the way he's describing it, he wants to be a gangster, not because he doesn't see any kind of economic opportunity outside of that, not because, you know, there's this power vacuum created by, yeah. Uh he's not an oppressed corruption. citizen or anything like right. that. Yeah. He just he is sucked into it because the lifestyle itself is glorified and he wants to become somebody and he wants to uh be more than that average guy. I wrote down there's there's a line he says towards the end uh, mm -hmm. about he was like we we were treated like movie stars with muscle or something. Hmm. And it was, it's that sort of appeal of, I want to be a star. I want to be a somebody. Yeah. And I think you could spend hours kind of trying to dig to the root of what causes that in our society. But I think, I think it's clearly like a beyond just people, beyond just somebody trying to becoming a gangster. It's clear that that like desire mm -hmm. to, for fame, for success, for whatever especially in America as it 
as it has continued to grow, now it presents in different ways. You know, you'll be like a YouTuber doing crypto scams or something instead of a gangster. But yeah, yeah. but it's the same sort of fundamental drive of like, yeah, I don't want to be sitting in an office at a nine to five job just like, you know, being controlled by the petty whims of middle management. And I have no I have no future besides a pension and you know, a house mm-hmm. that I can barely afford, uh, the kind of breakdown of the American dream, I think start creates this, this environment where you get this really explosive reaction to that, where it's like, no, I still need the American, I still need the results of the American dream, even though the whole system that was supposed to give that to people is crumbling. So I'm, so I'm going to do that at whatever, whatever cost is necessary, whether that means yeah being a gangster or a crypto scammer or whatever i don't know this might be foreshadowing a little bit towards the towards the very final episodes but uh i feel like the whole crypto scammer idea and the modern gangster is that there's a there's going to be a shift i think that's the good that's uh that goodfellas is still ahead of but you know once we move into like the post internet age like the whole gangster story also becomes fundamentally different because that's also one thing that I noticed again in this movie is that it's very, just as the previous one, it's, 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 it's very localized and the existence of the gangster network works because everything or everyone is in touch with each other. You know, there's this, uh, this great airport heist that's pulled off. Uh, there's multiple ones actually, you know, they rip off the, the airport, uh, again and again. And it's specifically because, you know, they know everyone, you know, they know the the baggage uh, uh, carriers. They know the the folks cleaning there, or, or you know whatever. They have all these inside connections. And, you know these very real connections, a very like a physical network almost that they can utilize to get all these little tips and to get all these little ins and angles to work uh, these greater institutions. And I feel like that's again this this is a little bit premature for the point in the discussion that we're at right now. But I feel like that's something that's gonna be changing very drastically once we move into a place where our lives are taking a place largely or less so on like in a physical space and more so on a digital realm that's just all you know all over connected and yeah uh, that that has lost some of those roots with uh, our more direct physical environment and um, the people that live there yeah yeah i think it's Part of potentially the the loss of power of organized crime, at least this kind that we see in these movies, comes from the diminishment of localization. Yeah. So it's easy to like gain control of a neighborhood when you can go into be in that neighborhood and know everybody and directly bribe them off and connect with them or mm-hmm. exert, you know, physical power on them. But in today's world that's the community is much more dispersed localization is much more dispersed uh so yeah i think i think that's definitely an influence yeah it's interesting i think when we're looking at these stories it's almost less about the exact evolution of the gangsters in the world and more so it feels like slight variations of the same story being told Mm -hmm. over and over again but as we're progressing there's little updates each decade but as we're progressing it's feeling more like the filmmakers perspectives are shifting on Mm. this because godfather all of these all three movies we've talked about so far are happening kind of within the span of like 50 years of each other there's not there's there's not a lot of it's not a huge span of time we're talking about here yeah. But just in just in the three decades from The Godfather to Goodfellas, it feels like the perspective of the individual filmmakers on these kinds of characters and this kind of story is shifting really quickly. And I'm I wonder how much of that is a reflection of like changing sensibilities in media about the kind of media we want to create and the kind of media we want to consume. As much you know, how much of it is a reflection of that as much as it is a reflection of changes in sort of the gangsters themselves and that mm-hmm. kind of world. 
uh, it's not either or probably, but I think those things are both at yeah. play. Yeah, I think that kind of uh, loops back to that uh, what we were talking about the, the the shifting cultural context that these movies are made within, um, which kind of sh shifts around like the metaphors and maybe the direct um, appeal of these stories a little bit. Uh, I was thinking also with like um, you know given how the '90s are more so about this disillusionment. I was also thinking back on what you said on this being a story that doesn't focus on like the top dog, but more of like the middle guy. Um, but also how it um, shows that there is a very real trickle down effect in this world. You know, Henry Hill, he's not on top, but you know, in his private mind, you know, he might, might as well have been, you know, he's living the good right. life. He has the same privileges. It seems as like the very, uh, the very big boss, but, um, uh, without having to carry those responsibilities, I guess. And uh, in, in that sense, I think also what the gangster um, sort of social system in this movie represents or in this context of the 90s is that very uh, real dream of, ha of having like a system of meaning, basically, you know, some social structure that you can tap into and then become a part of it and you know you don't necessarily have to make your way all the way to the top but you at least have to you're engaged in some kind of collective meaning and you get like a direct reward from it yeah. it's you know you see it in, in fight club also a little bit where they start the fight club and then the men they become part of it but they don't necessarily want they don't desire power or greed necessarily or you know it, they don't want uh like scarface you know it, it very much was the sense that oh you want the american dream it means to be powerful to be on top and to be the you know the most wealthy of all of them and i feel like in movies like uh goodfellas or you know the general cinema in the 90s it wasn't so much about being that you know it wasn't being tony montana on top of this giant mountain uh mountain of money but it was just about being part or more you know it was more part of about being part of this sort of brotherhood that gives you some kind of fulfillment that society at large is no longer providing and yeah i guess that that's also what maybe um is reflected by the way the filmmakers um tell these stories and the kind of cultural uh backgrounds there or, or cultural sensibilities to taking into it. Yeah. Part of me wonders if this genre's success and influence in film is due to, maybe I already said this in one of the other episodes, mm -hmm. I think maybe in The Godfather, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think about it again with this movie, where part of me wonders how much, you know, how much is the gangster film this kind of monolithic, part of American cinema over the last, uh, you know, hundred years because it is in and of itself like a genre that captivates people and how much of it is driven by the fact that you just have some of the best filmmakers hmm. specifically happen to be like Italian Americans, the sort of uh, Sicilian mafia kind of like story was one that they were interested in telling because it it had you know intrigue but also it was a way that i think for scorsese you know he has this interest in the bad guys and kind mm -hmm. of telling their stories but you can see in his other films he also has an interest in just getting to show sort of italian american culture to to some extent you know we see that in this movie with how lovingly he he details the sauce and those kinds of those kinds of details. That's something that goes all the way back to like a short film that he made called Italian American, where he filmed his an interview with his own mother and father, and his his mother is like cooking a sauce in the other room while they're doing the interview, and they're talking about Little Italy in New York, and his mom plays Tommy's mother in this uh, in this movie as well in the scene where they have the body in the trunk and they, they go in, they're looking for the shovel. They show up at 3 a.m. And uh, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. And that that scene famously, like he didn't give 
his mother any lines. He just had the guys come in. Mm -hmm. They knew roughly the scene and they just kind of improvised and ad-libbed all of that. And the person you see on screen is more or less like who Martin Scorsese's mother was. And she, she knew, you know, Joe Pesci and, and Bob De Niro. And so there's this familial camaraderie even amongst them that they're conveying on the screen. And so there's, there's this, this interesting sort of anthropological uh, element too to this, this, these stories, specifically this one and, uh, and the Godfather. And, you know, the fact that Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese just made like two incredible movies mm-hmm. separately about the same subject that kind of build on each other makes me wonder like, would, would the, this genre be considered like as influential as it was, if it hadn't been for that, how much of it is kind of inherent to the thing itself and how much of it is kind of, you know, Goodfellas is just a, a great yeah. movie in my opinion. That's, that's really well crafted. Uh, I don't know. Again, that's one of those kind of impossible to answer questions, yeah. but uh, I think it's an interesting. How, how grateful do we have to be to the Italians for <laughs> how, <laughs> yeah, the, the, <laughs> how grateful do we have to be to Martin Scorsese himself, who played, you know, a huge role in just kind of like creating. Mm-hmm. He's done much more than that. His cinema is much bigger than just the gangster mafia film. But, uh, he, you know, I think he's one of the greatest living american filmmakers and if he hadn't been as interested in this subject as he had you know maybe yeah. we'd be talking about like uh movies about you know i don't i don't know what else would have mm-hmm. taken its place but something uh, uh, italian uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> chef uh, chef movies would be the the big right genre. yeah exactly <laughs> cooking movies or something yeah yeah if the fr- if the if the greatest if some of the best American filmmakers had been French, we'd probably have we'd probably be talking about you know yeah. cooking movies or or something like that. So yeah, yeah, that, that does feel like a bit of an impossible question. But I do think there's a specific um, cultural like um, iconography, I guess, to Italian culture and the way they you know are, are so often associated with like these big families that are all really tight and they're all really into food and uh, preparing food. You know it cinematically it translates very well to that kind of metaphor for um you know that's family life uh, integrity loyalty attention to nice things nice foods and uh local foods and you know local stuff um I- i'm not sure if, if if the genre would not have existed without it because you obviously you also find that in other cultures but it's um so but it, I, I guess it did help to sort of popularize it a little bit. And it just, it, it's just a very easy translation, I think, from that specific element of culture to uh, to cinema. Because I know like in Spain and Greece, there's, uh, they, they have comparable cultures, uh, at least when it comes to, I think, to family and uh, a love of food. And, uh, you know, in France as well, uh, generally like Europe gets warmer socially as well as uh climate wise when the further south you move and the more northern you go the more um colder it gets again that's as well as in temperature as well as in the way social life works uh like for example here in the netherlands we do not at all have that kind of food culture that's in, in that you can find in the south of france or italy or spain um and people are still nice but there's more of a cold friendliness i guess and really this warm embrace and uh you know these these really tight connections or in the, in the way that you see them in uh, movies like this um but i think the 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 link between italianism italian culture and gangster cinema is also very interesting because i th- feel like that's going to change a lot more in the next decade so the next episode in which I feel like there's a very, you know, a much stronger disconnect from anything um, that was so in the past, like a very uh, a much cleaner break with like the traditionalism, which also includes like a break from the gangster cinema being just about the Italian mafia. I feel like there's uh, there's going to be some very interesting movies that we're going to talk about. Um, 
but they're also gonna I, I think one thing that they have in common is that they all focus on different cultures and different uh ethnicities and countries and different you know same gangster structure but a different cultural flavoring i guess uh there's a word for that but um there's there's de i think it's worth noting that there's definitely a broader palette of gangster films than what we've been discussing the fact that we have kind of focused primarily on the ones by italian americans is mostly due to that's those are the movies that have been the biggest and the most influential in america there's traditions of gangster cinema in mm -hmm. france in uh, i think italy itself and and there's other ones in america that fo focus on maybe chicago gangs or yeah. uh, you know other there gangster cinema has been broader than just exploring yeah, the definitely. Yeah. Italian American organized crime, but <laughs> I think like the fact that three huge filmmakers, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, and then Martin Scorsese, all very talented guys prior to even their work within the gangster genre, but all three happen to be Italian American and all three kind of happen to explore this sort of landscape uh and that that happens to be you know connected vaguely to their their heritage so i think you know the, the there's just an interesting kind of coincidental through line there mm -hmm. that resulted in like the italian mafia being kind of the the most prominent figure sort of in this this narrative arc of gangster cinema in in the u.s but that yeah. that version of the mob really did break down kind of in the 2000s and the thing that most clearly tells the story of that is uh the sopranos the hmm. i think kind of in the the trajectory that we're char charting as you just mentioned we'll go on a little like detour i think next week but in the 2000s really it feels like for me i think the next piece in this puzzle would be the sopranos but we, we can't watch and talk about six seasons yeah. of a tv show here i've never um, seen it so yeah and <laughs> but that's 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 definitely the next in that show they're watching those guys are watching goodfellas and they yeah. that's one of their favorite movies and we see sort of the further degradation of kind of the the culture the institution itself of the mafia kind of breaking down and the the figures who are being glorified in the to some extent in the godfather scarface and and goodfellas kind of becoming portrayed in a way that's that's even more like their coolness is stripped away to a certain extent and they just yeah. are kind of this sadder version of themselves hmm. so yeah there's there's an there's an interesting trajectory there that is much more than i think we could oh yeah cover in in one series yeah also, we're called cinema of meaning, not television right, of right. meaning. But <laughs> yes, yeah. But it, it's somewhat ironic then that there's the Italian American filmmakers who kicked off like the great gangster cinema, and then there's again it, the Italian focused story on television that kicked off what was arguably the golden age of television. I think. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, it started off with The Sopranos, The Wire, which I both still haven't seen, but. Um, I did see Breaking Bad came uh, shortly after that. Uh, yeah, came you know all all kinds of other great television shows. You know we've been mostly focusing on, as you said, like American uh, gangster movie. But I th I do think to some extent that there's a they they are not just specifically a part of American culture, but I think also as speaking as someone who is not American, and you know even in the Netherlands we have our own stories of like organized crime within our own country but we still see like the the godfather scarface as, uh, and goodfellas as like the great gangster movies so they're still the, i i do th do think that even though they are american or specifically american there's still something almost transcendental about them that i feel like carries them over into at least in europe i can't speak for like uh, i know india for example has their own um history with and, you know, obviously they have their own, like, fast, a fast history of their own uh, when it comes to cinema, but also specifically, you know, gangster cinema. Uh, and I'm sure other cultures uh, around the world as well. But 
uh, yeah, I, th- I feel like in at least in the West, there's a. Uh, uh, I think these movies have a you know specific kind of level of uh, you know they're they're iconic movies for a reason yeah. I think and uh, um, that's what I'm hoping to you know carry along as we move forward with this series to kind of pick out these movies that uh, are very much a specific product of a time and place, but also carry that greater transcendental quality that makes them relevant to uh, or interesting and entertaining to everyone or at least most people so yeah i think that that's roughly it for uh goodfellas unless you have anything uh, any other notes uh no i think we've i think we've uh we've covered it in in so far as it relates to the broader discussion yeah. of, of gangster cinema i have to hold back from just not just gushing about all the um, filmmaking in the Goodfellas, in Goodfellas that I love. I yeah. think I was watching this again, and I was like, "Man, Thelma Shoemaker, the the editor of this mm-hmm. movie, longtime collaborator with with Martin Scorsese, I think is just absolute master of her class." And in terms of editing, like I think this is maybe one of the greatest, like best edited movies of all time. There's just like not. Not a freeze frame or slow motion shot or like dolly move or like needle drop that feels out of place in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just like every time I watch it, it starts with such a bang and then it just you get completely swept up and pulled into its current. Yeah. And uh I love I love the way this movie feels from beginning to end. I think it's 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 very uh, retention friendly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like the the, the um, Mr. Beast cinema or, or the Mr. Beast uh, <laughs> version of. <laughs> no, don't don't you say that about <laughs> Martin Scorsese. Don't you do him dirty like that. <laughs> it's not to, to bring him down. If if anything, yeah. it's to to compliment Mr. Beast and to kind of sure, sure, draw right. a line between uh, what captivates an audience. Because I do feel there's something electrifying about. A Scorsese movie that also clearly like galvanizes a Mr. Beast video and why his retention is you know in 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 the seventy percent while ours is around thirty or something. Yeah, uh, getting yeah. into very analytical jargon here maybe, but <laughs> that, that no one but other YouTubers can relate to. But I, I love I love the movie. I love the way yeah. it draws you in, and I love the way it kind of feels like you've been duped or tricked by the end, or it feels mm-hmm. a little bit like that final look from Henry Hill, it's like, I kind of feel like he's pulled one over on us. Like he, when he's like, oh, I'm I'm just a regular guy, like one of you. Mm-hmm. There's a disdain in that, but it's all, and there he's portraying it as if he had this terrible fall into devastation. But ultimately, there's a little bit of an indication towards kind of a failure on some of the broader justice system or some of like the the country. There's a little bit of a failure on a broader scale where he was involved in all this stuff. And the worst that happened to him is, yeah. you know, he ends up as a regular guy. Uh, Even the so, time he did surf was seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty fairly fun vacation. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it ended a lot worse for some others, I guess. You get yeah. whacked or die in prison. But, you know, and, and there's that question of like, does is he actually redeeming himself to some extent by becoming a witness and kind of fulfilling more of like a, a duty to broader society by yeah. turning on these guys and then helping to put them in, in prison? I think there's a little bit of a question yeah. there that's interesting, but... I'm guessing there's also some note there on uh, what it means to live a regular citizen life that you have to sacrifice some highs, but you're also protecting yourselves from, you know, those extreme lows and extreme dangers that uh, are very much present in this gangster life. And that you don't, you know, I guess he has to worry about it because he's in the witness protection program. But, you know, for us regular citizens, that's, you know, getting whacked in the street is generally not something that we worry about at least not you know right. we don't worry about being specifically targeted for a whacking you know <laughs> yeah uh which henry hill very much had to do and he got something in return for that for a little while but at the you know in the end he kind of finds that middle middle ground that we all live on and 
to him that's that's hell but uh yeah i, I guess it's uh, it, it's to some extent open-ended to how we feel about it and after you right. know seeing his story like can we, it's, it's like scorsese asks like oh maybe we can just be we maybe we can be satisfied with this even if he is not right right yeah yeah it's just like he's living in a suburb he's picking up a newspaper yeah and it's there's kind of this implication of (laughs) yeah can you can you be sad if that's what you're given Mm -hmm. is that enough will you be satisfied with that or will you go off and pursue greatness or something more than that at, at all cost which i think goes back to what you were pointing to as that ties into themes that are later very much playing out in the 90s with things like Fight Club and The Matrix, where it's playing on that same, like, the real world, quote unquote, the regular life is not enough. And so, therefore, out of that comes this desire for for something else at all costs. Okay, good fellas, I could go on, but uh, I think think we have to wrap it up. Uh, Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode if you want to join in the discussion again you can find links to join our patreon in the show notes below we appreciate you listening and we will catch you next week with the 2000s decade of gangster cinema talk to you then